University of Chicago Public Policy Podcast. I have therefore considered it essential to relieve General MacArthur so that there would be no doubt or confusion as to the real purpose and aim of our policy. On my orders, the United States military has begun strikes against Al-Qaeda terrorist training camps. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence by the military-industrial complex. U.S. warships and planes launched the opening salvo of Operation Iraqi Freedom. After years of devastating cuts, we're now rebuilding our military like we never have before. Hello and welcome back to Thank You for Your Service, a hard look at American civil-military affairs from the University of Chicago Public Policy Podcasts. I'm Thomas Krasnation. And I'm Nick Pereso. This is our last episode as the hosts of Thank You for Your Service. We're graduating from the University of Chicago at the end of next week and heading back to the Navy full-time. But we're very excited to share that the podcast will continue. After this episode, Thank You for Your Service will be leaving the University of Chicago Public Policy Podcast Organization and will be joining the podcast network at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C., where it will be co-hosted by civil military relations experts Dr. Alice Hunt-Friend and Dr. Jim Golby. You'll hear from both Alice and Jim in this episode. If you've only recently found us, you might not know that we came to the University of Chicago directly after graduating from the U.S. Naval Academy in 2018. We came here because we were both interested in studying public policy, and the Naval Academy has a program that allows some graduates to delay their entrance into the fleet, the real Navy, in order to pursue graduate studies at civilian institutions. The hope is that students can enhance their educations and gain valuable insights by doing coursework at a civilian school alongside civilian classmates. In a way, it's kind of like a direct civil-military relations program. When we came to UChicago, neither of us had any idea what kinds of activities we would do outside the classroom, and we were both surprised to learn that UChicago had a podcast club. Long story short, the club, UC3P, approved our idea for this podcast in October of 2018 and gave us the resources and training we needed to start production. And since then, it's been an amazing journey. We especially wanted to give a shout out to Dr. Corey Shockey and retired Admiral Mike Mullen, our first two guests, who graciously agreed to appear on a brand new show with untested hosts and were extremely patient with our lackluster interviewing skills. We owe another huge debt of gratitude to David Axelrod, the director of the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and the host of the Axe Files podcast and TV show. He also took a chance on us, supporting our podcast and helping secure some of our interview guests before he had any idea if this show would be good, as well as agreeing to be interviewed live in front of an audience here at Harris. The podcast would not have been the same without his encouragement and insight. This week, for my column, Homefront, where we bring you stories about members of the military and their families as we try to bridge the divide between civilians and the military, I introduce you to two recent Naval Academy graduates and their podcast, which is called Thank You for Your Service. This features some really candid interviews from some of the most prominent retired U.S. military officials, as well as experts, scholars, and A turning point for Thank You for Your Service, and the time when many of our listeners first heard about us, was March of 2019, when Brianna Keeler, 
the 1 to 2 p.m. anchor on CNN, decided to do a profile of the podcast for her online column and interview us on her show. Right now we have Thomas Krasnation and Nick Pareso joining me now. They are behind this podcast. They're coming to us uh, from Chicago where they are in a master's program at the University of Chicago before they report respectively to a submarine and a destroyer. So I'm um, talking to both of you for this. During that process, she also gave us some really valuable coaching on interview techniques that we have used in every episode since then. We're really grateful for her excellent journalism, her unique voice as a military spouse, and all her guidance and support. On top of all that, it's been an incredible privilege to get to know members of the civil military relations academic community, the professors and practitioners who study and teach about civil military relations for a living. We've been blown away over and over again by the level of encouragement and support they have offered. From answering our random questions over email and Twitter, to sharing our episodes with students, to letting us present alongside them on panels at a conference. They could not have been more kind to us. And on that note, we want to introduce you, our listeners, to the new co-hosts, Alice Hunt Friend and Jim Golby. We interviewed Alice a few weeks ago in the podcast studio at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and then spoke with Jim over the phone. First, their bios. Alice Hunt Friend is a senior fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. She's a longtime civil military relations and foreign policy analyst, a former Pentagon official, and an adjunct lecturer at American University's School of International Service, where she recently completed her PhD. Lieutenant Colonel Jim Golby, or as he'll soon be known, just Dr. Jim Golby, is a strategist for the U.S. Army currently stationed in Europe. Prior to that, he worked in the office of the vice president, both Joe Biden and Mike Pence, and he taught at West Point. He holds a PhD from Stanford University, and when he retires from the Army this summer, he'll be a senior fellow at the University of Texas at Austin's Clement Center. We spoke with Alice and Jim to hear about their backgrounds, their assessments of the current state of civil military relations in America, and where the podcast is headed once they take over. Thanks so much for joining us, Alice. Hi, uh, guys. There's a, there's a ton of really interesting things we could talk about with your career. First, it would be good for our listeners to hear, how did you first become interested in studying civil military relations? So I came from a very blue part of the country where there were no military bases. And so I didn't even think about uh, the military, military careers, military service, national security as a career at all when I was applying for colleges, and I thought I was going to be a theater major. And then my sophomore year of college, I somehow, for some reason, and I don't recall why, um, became the Smith College delegate to the Naval Academy Foreign Affairs Conference, with which I'm sure you both are quite familiar. Um, <laughs> and the topic that year was civil military relations. And that was it. I was hooked. Um, I was sort of adopted by an army captain who showed me the rope. She was sort of in charge of our little group. Um, and we debated all the big issues of the day in, in civil relations, which at the time was a lot of social issues um, because it was the Clinton administration. And we were talking a lot about both gays in the military as well as humanitarian intervention, the use of force, the purpose of the armed forces, what should the armed forces look like, all this great stuff that I've been fascinated by ever since. And that was it. That really completely relaunched my, my career thoughts. Here's what Jim had to say. 
for me, um, my interest and sort of passion for civil military relations started when I was a cadet at West Point. In my junior year, I took a course uh, with a man named Dr. Don Snyder. He was a retired Army officer who had come back and was the Olin Distinguished Professor at West Point. And I had him for two courses, um, one uh, which was The Soldier in the State, which was directly about civil military relations. And then the second course I took with him was a course on uh, American defense policy, but it, it had a lot to do with aspects of civil military relations and the same sort of themes. And just through his example, his mentorship, the opportunity to learn from someone who was um, as wise and knowledgeable as, as he is, he's really a giant in the field of military professionalism and civil military relations. I just, I fell in love with the topic. I thought it was, you know, one of the most interesting things I'd, um, I'd done during my time at West Point had direct applicability to my future career as an officer, and uh, I just have sort of stuck with it ever since. When you say it had a direct applicability to your future career as an officer, um, what do you mean by that? So I think there were um, two things. One was the uh, immediate impact that it would have as I was a junior officer. So I deployed uh, to Iraq uh, several times. The second time I was there, I was in charge of what they called the Iraqi Business Industrial Zone, it began as a State Department project, but it ended up being a project that relied on interagency cooperation on the ground. Um, and so I had to had to learn how to work with uh, civilians from other agencies pretty early in my career. Even before that, uh, you know, as a as a young officer, I was involved in a number of different things where um, I'd have to interact with people from you know either my home community or with friends, just trying to explain to them what I was doing, why it was important, and in all sorts of little ways, uh, bridging that uh, gap between my friends and family and anybody else I came into contact with. So after undergrad, uh, I actually went and did AmeriCorps for a year. And I worked with Big Brothers Big Sisters of Colorado that was based in Denver. I think they're still based in Denver out there. And I did that year of national service. And part of doing AmeriCorps is you, uh, you take the oath of office at the beginning of it, and they really emphasize the idea of volunteerism and national service all year long. Um, and I just loved it. I had a fabulous time. If you could point to one formative moment in your career so far, what would it be? So there are two. One is AmeriCorps. I think that, mm -hmm. that got me... That combined with my academic and nerdy interest in the civil relations questions really got me on a path to service. I decided after that I wanted to serve in the government. Um, and I just spent the next several years trying to figure out how to get back into government mm -hmm. service. But the other one ha has to be my service at the Pentagon. You know, that was a life changer, a, an incredible teacher. I um, acquired so many dear friends and mentors there. You just you can't learn in the classroom the way you can learn sitting in the Pentagon and going over to the White House for meetings and really living through the decision-making and policy-making process. So I just had a fantastic time doing that. And of all my experiences at the Pentagon, I was there for five and a half years. Um, I'm the proudest of my work with the Africa office as their principal director. We had a great team. It's a very small office covering a very big continent. You know, 10 action officers, 54 countries, and my team was just awesome, and I was so privileged to work with them. It was one of those things that you never are really prepared to do it until you've had some experience doing it. But I was so fortunate to have months, really, with, uh, with Don Snyder uh, and other cadets to think through these issues, to think about the challenges we would face 
you know, at the time when I was a cadet, we were mostly concerned about peacekeeping operations in Bosnia and Kosovo. But a lot of the same types of themes and lessons that came up in that course with respect to how you interact with civilians, how you develop legitimacy, were, were lessons that I took directly to my experiences in Iraq. So you've studied civil relations academically, but you also got a chance to really see how it interacts at the ground level working at the Pentagon. I'm curious how those two lined up or didn't line up, both the academic side and the practical on the ground side. Yeah, what really fascinated me was when I was doing my master's degree, I did a thesis that really looked at this very nerdy academic debate about framing discussions and framing and language and how military expertise can come to define what values we're going to prioritize in a conversation or in a policy decision. Um, And thinking about the degree to which both sort of consciously and subliminally um, civilians and, and everyone in the national security space think through problems the way the military defines or, or conceives of them, right? But that was all very abstract in a lot of ways. And I was looking retrospectively at uh, the humanitarian intervention decisions of the 1990s. So why did we intervene in Somalia? Why didn't we intervene in Rwanda? And what did the civil military dialogue have to do with that? So then I show up at the Pentagon and I actually live the civil military dialogue, <clears throat> And the thing is that if, especially before you've worked in the building, and as a very young scholar just getting good at empirical research, um, although I don't know if I was so good at it, you sort of think of the military in their corner and civilians in their corner and coming together at meetings, right? Mm -hmm. And then sort of talking past each other. That's sort of the idealized, totally unrealistic vision one can get in one's head. Working in the Pentagon, you know, civilians in the military work side by side next to each other in cubicles on the same issues. And even when there's a clearly civilian institution like OSD and a clearly military institution like the Joint Staff, there are civilians working for the Joint Staff. There are military officers working for OSD. And for a while, I worked on the Pakistan account. And we were incredibly close and collaborative with the Joint Staff uh, office that worked on Pakistan. And so... The degree to which the relationship wasn't adversarial, Mm -hmm. wasn't we had radically different perspectives on issues, was really collaborative, and we had things to teach each other, but but we taught each other. You know, a lot of my early education in the Pentagon came from folks in uniform. Literally one day, um, a captain that we worked with on the Pakistan desk, we got a a report from Afghanistan, and it was it was like a. you know, shot by shot, uh, lay down of a battle. And I didn't understand any of it. And he sat down with me and taught me how to read all the jargon. Um, stuff like that, you know, that that I think is really, really essential to the civil relationship as it is practiced day by day. And we miss sometimes as academics because we're thinking about big galactic decision points like the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know. Um, and normatively, what should everybody be doing but as it is practiced and lived in the Pentagon, it's it's a totally different and much less distinct set of of roles and uh, interactions. And tell us about your research now. What have you been working on recently? So I think there are two big strands to my research. Um, one has to do with military advice, uh, and I've I've spent a lot of time thinking and writing about that uh, in my last few jobs working in the Pentagon for the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs working at the White House for uh, Vice President Biden, Vice President Pence, thinking about the interaction that senior military leaders and civilian leaders have and how military leaders can uh, 
provide advice in a way that is helpful, that is constructive, uh, that's respectful, but that also is very candid um, and honest and, and sometimes brutally honest in ways that will help develop effective policy. So I, I've spent a lot of time both reflecting on my, my personal experiences uh, as well as looking back at historical case studies to try to help the, uh, the army in particular, but the military in general, uh, think about how to prepare its officers to give good advice. And then the second thing, probably my main focus right now, I'm uh, working on a book project with Peter Fever at Duke University that explores the determinants of public confidence in the military. We've known for uh, several decades now that the military is by far the most respected institution in America, but we don't really understand very well why. Uh, there are a lot of people who have different ideas or different theories, but nobody has really tested these in any sort of rigorous way. So we've worked to find a donor in uh, the last few years, and we've collected our first wave of surveys. We're getting ready to do another one either later this summer or fall to try to look at that question of why, why is it that people respect the military so much more than other institutions, and what are the, the real implications of that for the policy process? So within the civil military relations academic world, there's a lot of debate and discussion over whether civil military relations in America are in a very precarious place right now, like a crisis, or if the challenges that we see in civil military relations today are just sort of part of the normal ebb and flow of American life. And I was wondering if you could talk about where you fall on that debate and how you assess the general state of American civil military relations today in 2020. I fall, I fall in the really concerned bucket. Um, you know, we can we can debate the semantics of whether crisis is quite the right word. I, I think a crisis implies that we're on the tipping point or the breaking point or, you know, everything is about to completely disintegrate. I, I don't think we're there yet, but I think we are pursuing a few trends that could get us there. And the way these things work is it's not necessarily linear, right? The, the trend itself could become exponential and accelerate, um, and we'd find ourselves in a really bad place seemingly all of a sudden, even though nerds like us have been waving our hands over our heads for a while. One of the trends that I worry about the most is politicization of the military, which is a long, hard to pronounce word, but <laughs> it just means, is the military being seen by everyday Americans and politicians as a partisan political constituency? Is there one party that feels like the military is their co-partisans and treats them as such? Is there another party that feels like they agree with that and that that's therefore um, that sets up a, if not adversarial relationship between that party and the military, then not a trusting collaborative one? Um, that's a really bad place for us to get to. And more and more in recent years, we have seen politicians willing to talk to the military like like they are a partisan constituency. Um, and, you know, we can look to this administration for really accelerating that trend. But many scholars have noticed for years that the practice of getting uh, retired general and flag officers to endorse Presidential candidates has only been getting worse and worse. It started in the very late 80s with the George H.W. Bush campaign and has just uh, proceeded apace. But you know that's one of the things that worries me the most because if you if you have the perception 
that the military basically is just aligned with a party, then you have the perception that the military has domestic political preferences and loyalties. And then you have a lot of trouble if the other party is in charge conducting foreign policy and believing military advice and believing that the military will follow orders. And that's a very bad place to be in, right? Um, So that's the trend that I worry the most about. Uh, So civil military relations today are uh, incredibly um, fascinating, I guess is the the best way to start off. Um, As I said, I started studying civil military relations uh, in the the mid-90s or so, and have been following it pretty closely ever since. And I think it's hard to think of a time when civil military relations has been sort of in the news and at the fingertips of uh, the American people as much as it has been um, in the last two or three years. Obviously, that has a lot to do with the, um, you know, very unique and uh, brash personality of of President Trump, um, who has definitely interacted with the military in ways that we haven't seen before. But it also has to do with broader societal trends. And I think, you know, in in American politics today and in civil military relations in particular, I think political polarization is the thing that probably most defines the, the challenges we face. So when you are when you have a military that is trying to interact with two parties that are so uh, so divergent and that are so opposed on every issue, uh, you really have a military that's caught in the crossfire. And so I think when I think about civil military relations, the first thing I think about is how does political polarization shape interaction between the military and civilians, both at the highest levels and you know in the the general public. Uh, my colleague Mara Carlin is currently thinking and writing about what she calls, and she calls it a crisis, a crisis of care. I think we have a huge legacy from the ongoing wars in, uh, well, war in Afghanistan and operations in the Middle East that is everything from the very ambiguous conclusions to conclusion to Iraq and probably conclusion to Afghanistan, if it can even be called a conclusion, and the feeling like, the country sent the military back to Afghanistan and Iraq over and over and over and over for no clear reason. And that also undermines trust between the military and its society and its civilian elites that are in charge of of policy direction. And then there's also, I think a lot about just, you know, we might call it the invisible wounds of war, but the, the psychological effect on both the force, but also on a society, you know, if someone comes home with TBI, it's not just that soldier or Marine or sailor or airman who's suffering. It's the whole family and the whole community around them. And that's a whole country worth of people that are that are still absorbing all that. Um, and I think that's something that we should think about more, talk about more, point a lot more to the proactive efforts to reintegrate veterans in society and veterans' proactive efforts themselves. That's another thing that I, I think about a lot. So shifting gears a little bit. Yeah. We're very excited that someone, that a team of people is willing to take over this podcast project. We're excited too, Thomas. <laughs> and um, we wanted our listeners to hear from you why 
it's important to you um, to continue this podcast. So Jim Golby, my co-host, and I uh, were super fans of the Thank You for Your Service podcast. Um, and I'm excited to take it on because I think there's so much more to do and there's so much more to talk about. Um, you guys had some fantastic guests on. You tackled a lot of the really big issues. I think there's more to talk about, more to say. Um, this is an ongoing, always important topic for um, folks who are practitioners and academics alike. But I'm also excited because your objective from the start was educational and to expand these conversations beyond just the nerdy few like me, but to really try and bridge the gap that we talk about a lot between civilians and the military. And I'm really, really excited, and I know Jim is also excited because we've talked about it, um, to continue that educational and exploratory mission that is behind the podcast. And what kind of topics do you hope to cover? I know we talked today already about defining civilian control, about politicization, about the crisis of care. What can we expect moving forward? We want to keep talking about uh, who serves. We want to keep talking about we have an idea for a whole segment that's on social issues that sort of gets at what the academics call the gap, the, the gap between civilians and the military and the gap literature. But what that means today, what is the gap? Is it geographic? Is it about do all Americans have uh, equal access to the right to try to be a member of the military? You know, how's it going with women in combat? How's it going with integrating women into greater roles in the military? We want to tackle the question about should trans people be able to serve in the military? That's been an issue of controversy recently. Um, all of those sort of who serves issues and social issues. We also want to keep looking at the legacy of the wars um, and then also thinking about use of force decisions going forward. We also want to have a little bit of fun. We'd like to look at uh, CivMil in pop culture. Uh, Jim has written this really great article about the civil-military relations of Star Wars, and you can expect more of that to come. Great. <laughs> um, we talked to Alice a little bit about this, but I know you guys have worked on it more since then. What are some topics that you're hoping to cover on the podcast going forward? Yeah, so one of the things that I think I'm most excited about is an idea for a new segment we have called War Storytellers. And I've done some uh, some great interviews with a lot of people. Phil Cly was fantastic uh, when you brought him on the show. But one of the things that we want to do to build off the segments you did on the, the media and pop culture and to the, the interview you did with Phil is to try to have a broader view, not just at sort of broad general topics of civil military relations, but how uh, veterans of the last 20 or 30 years, or even before that, interpret their experiences, how they interpret their time going back into the civilian world. And so I'm excited about that, bringing different people, veterans in particular, who have tried to tell the military story in pop culture, either through movies, their own writing, sometimes through music, and, and bringing them on the show. That'll be exciting. And then I think uh, another thing that Alice and I have talked about doing is looking at different aspects of the civil military gaps. Um, you know, that's one of the phrases I've tried to coin is that it's not just a single gap, uh, it is multiple gaps. And there are all sorts of different dimensions uh, that civilians and the military interact on from the way the military interacts with the society in terms of the sacrifices that the military is asked to make, in terms of the way they engage in the policy process, uh, from the resources that DOD has compared to State Department or other agencies um, and so I think we want to try to peel back some of those layers and look at some of the different aspects and how that how that impacts civil military relations. 
And when do you think listeners can expect new episodes? We are shooting for June. So there'll be a little hiatus while we get our act mm-hmm. together, but mm-hmm. then we'll start rolling them out in June. And our plan is to, to have a new episode for you guys every two weeks. Sounds like there's a lot to look forward to for the future. Thank you for your service. Thanks, Alice, for your support and guidance over the past year and for your willingness to take this on and move it forward. Kudos to you guys for making such a great podcast. It's going to be easy to just keep it going. You guys have done a fantastic job. We really are you know, going to be standing on your shoulders and trying to uh, take the best of what you've done uh, and, and hopefully make it better and keep it going for, uh, for quite a long time. We're really excited for where Alice and Jim are going to be taking Thank You for Your Service and to listen to their new episodes soon. We hope you will keep listening as well. One last thing before we go. Walking around in downtown Annapolis and meeting classmates here at UChicago, when people found out we were in the military, we were often told, thank you for your service. And we knew that that phrase has always meant genuinely, out of a real appreciation and gratitude for service. But so often, the conversation just stops there at thank you for your service. We wanted those conversations to go further, to be more in-depth, to create a real dialogue between civilians and members of the military. We also found, as Dr. Risa Brooks said in our last episode, that civil-military relations is a useful vehicle for talking and learning about so many important social, political, ethical, and philosophical issues. Our mission has been to have those discussions in a rigorous, accessible, and informative way. And we want to thank all of you, our listeners, for engaging in those conversations with us. At the Naval Academy, we were often told that midshipmen and cadets are part of the best and brightest the nation has to offer, and that military service is something to be valued. But all service is valuable. And by sending us here to the University of Chicago, The Navy gave us the opportunity to meet and work with students who will also be serving our country and countries around the world in equally important ways. Classmates like Annalise, Josh, Alec, Nilanjana, Izzy, Daniela, Elaine, Ethan, Felipe, and so many others. We have classmates who will be working in public education, crime reduction, international development, the foreign service, political campaigns, public health, the intelligence community, journalism, and countless other fields. They're all going to make an impact. So to our classmates, thank you for your service. Thank you for joining us on Thank You For Your Service. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at TYFYS underscore podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get Alice and Jim's first episode as soon as it's released. In the meantime, if you haven't already, please go back and listen to our old episodes and rate or review Thank You For Your Service on your favorite platform. It'll help new listeners find the podcast once it's rebooted. Thank You For Your Service is produced by Ashwarya Kumar, and our publisher is Yining Wong. Production support for Season 2 has come from Haas Yano, Tom Latanzio, Michelle Tran, Morgan Wade, Tracy Logan, and Bobby Maxwell. Special thanks to Alice Friend and Jim Golby, and thank you to the Center for Strategic and International Studies for believing in the mission of this podcast and choosing to continue it. We've recorded and produced these 27 episodes here at the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. We'll always be grateful to Harris 
for giving us this remarkable opportunity. Thank you for your service. A Hard Look at American Civil Military Affairs has been a production of the University of Chicago Public Policy Podcasts and never did ever at any time necessarily represent the official positions of the Department of Defense or the U.S. government. I'm Thomas Krasnation. And I'm Nick Pereso. We'll see you around.